Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 75 of the What Do We Do podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Jan Van Eck. He's the CEO of Van Eck Investments, a global investment manager founded back in 1955. We're talking all things Wall Street from one of the best players in the game. It's going to be a great show, so let's go. Welcome to What Do We Do, a podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning featuring key leaders in our communities, hosted by founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Stefan. Tune in to hear how you can plan for and live your, your best, best life. life. Welcome back to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. I'm your host, Dewey Stefan, and today's episode is another guest episode. This is where we bring a leader in the community on our show, and they have a story to tell, knowledge to share, and advice to give. And then we ask them to come on the podcast to help our entire community invest for success. Well, today's guest is a leader in so many ways. Our guest today is Jan Van Eck, the CEO of Van Eck, a global investment management company headquartered in New York City, and it was founded by his father back in 1955. Jan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Dewey. We're going to dive right on in and find out what it's like to operate an investment firm in today's current environment. Well, uh, Dewey, I guess our primary focus or what I think about when I come to work is what investment strategies kind of make sense given market structure, given, you know, different market cycles, because we want funds to last through market cycles. And ideally, if they're an active fund, they're taking advantage of some kind of opportunity in the market. So in emerging markets, for example, we like growth companies. Uh, If they're ETFs, if we find a particular kind of inefficiency that we like, or maybe it's just an exposure. But that's what I do. I come up to work. I would kind of make sure that our funds are intelligently designed. And, you know, as you said, the markets are changing all the time. So not only we think about new funds, but we're also making sure that everything that we do is operating well. Fantastic. And let's uh, take a step back and we'll go fast through the origin of your firm from Genesis until today. And so how did it start and uh, where has it evolved from and where is it now? And then we're going to get into later on the show where it's going next. Sure. Well, I mean, consistent with that. So my father started the firm in 1955 and he said, listen, you know, the United States is great, but what's missing in a lot of portfolios. And and this is what you'll find Van Eck doing, by the way. It's sort of what types of investments, or we call them in the industry, asset classes, should people be thinking about that are maybe not in everyone's portfolios? So in 1955, believe it or not, most Americans did not have any exposure to international equities. So I said, well, that doesn't make sense. I can buy companies in Japan and Germany that are growing because they're rebuilding their economies. And so that's how the company started. And then um, he basically was studying the world economy and looking at monetary policy and in 1968 said, you know, I'm really worried about inflation. And so how do you take advantage of inflation? Well, Americans weren't worried about inflation. uh, But he said, I think that investing in gold is a way to do that. And, you know, gold had been flat or fixed against the U.S. dollar for the 170 years of U.S. history. But he felt, well, this was something that was really going to impact portfolios in the 1970s. And people don't 
have that. They don't have that asset class in their portfolio. So again, uh, a little bit early, but you know, gold ended up going from thirty-five dollars to eight hundred dollars an ounce. Um, in in my tenure, if you will, I focused on the emerging markets, which is really the emergence of China and the kind of thawing of the Cold War, the emergence of Africa and, and Latin America into the into the world. Um, and then we launched our ETF business in 2006. So uh, the ETF business that you launched at the time, that was cutting edge. That was a uh, change from traditional mutual funds to uh, what a product that could be traded up throughout the day. Um, also, maybe in the business, um, the fees are maybe less on ETFs. And so I don't know if you got pushback from you know, your board of directors or from uh, your competitors on Wall Street. What are you doing? Um, kind of talk about you know, just the genesis of establishing the ETFs and getting them involved. And now what significance are ETFs to VanEck and across Wall Street? You know what's interesting is ask yourself when you look at a company, who's the person running the company? You know, it can be a different kind of person, like in a car company, it can be the designer, right? Or, um, which lends to creativity and coming out with new cars, right? Or it can be the CFO. That means there was just a recession and they spent too much money and the company is focusing on costs. Um, asset managers are the same. The people that run money management firms historically have been active portfolio managers. So guess what? They love active portfolio management, and they hate ETFs. Um, my approach was different. I was more of a, a business person, and I said, listen, uh, th- there's no one answer to, every, uh, you know, to the variety of questions that are out there. And so uh, culturally, in retrospect, I think it was a lot easier for me to open our eyes to what – it didn't feel early when we got into it, but it was a kind of a clear – type of thing that investors were looking for. What is the landscape now of the ETF space, and where is it going next? We're focusing still uh, more more probably on what's the market cycle and which of our funds might be appropriate during every different market cycle rather than launching a ton of new ETFs. Um, Having said that, you know, know, we think that fixed income is still an interesting area, and we continue to launch uh, funds in that area. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a more mature business. There's thousands of ETFs out there, like you sort of are suggesting, but uh, there's still some stuff to do. Well, we're going to talk um, in broad strokes, you know, probably primarily for this interview, but one of the um detailed strokes that we're going to go to right now is in the uh, digital asset space. Um, and so that's not necessarily an ETF per se, but I know that you had um, you know, different ideas of um, getting that to investors. So you know, maybe walk through uh, where that was and where that is now. Sure. Um, well, listen, not every investor needs to own a gold fund, right? Why do you own a gold fund? Do you own a gold fund because you think a government might be losing its discipline and printing too much money. And in, in 2017, when you know, I'd known about Bitcoin, but I was like, well, this looks like it feels like it could be a competitor to gold. Is that the case? And so you know, we did our homework, a lot of homework, and said, yeah, we think so. And so that's really our initial inclination is to kind of put Bitcoin into an ETF wrapper. Uh, you know, it's the same thing I was saying before about if you're the CEO, I, I'm kind of the paranoid CEO, you want to be in business in 10 years. So what do you need to do to make sure that you're not getting disrupted? So that was really 
a lot of our thinking about uh, cryptocurrencies was really Bitcoin. And, and uh, you know, look, tens and tens of millions of, I would say, gold investors now own Bitcoin as well. So the genesis of uh, Bitcoin to a degree was that it was digital gold. And it sounds like from talking, you know, to members of your team and across Wall Street that really um, that discussion is becoming less and less and less. That it's not digital gold. It's not a store of value. It's not a you know, medium of exchange, but uh, that it is more of a technology. And so whether that's true or not, um, it sounds like you're um, going to be investing more and more of your firm's assets into understanding it and its ecosystem. And um, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, so beyond, I think of those other blockchain technologies is very, very different from, from Bitcoin. And uh, really, it's looking at our industry, which is finance. Most of the computer systems and processes were set up in the late 60s and 70s when we were doing everything by paper. And then we just said, well, let's you know, design a mainframe to do what we're doing by paper. And I think what the blockchain does is let's start this all over again, right? How can we do this instantaneously without five different mainframe computers all agreeing with each other? So uh, that's, you know, inf the reason that a financial firm like us wants to look at it and see how can we do things better and differently. And, yes, we're putting a lot of our time and attention to that technology. So back to the early days of the firm, uh, gold was the staple. Gold was the theme around here, right? And now yeah. here we are, and it's uh, digital gold or just you know digital assets and the future of technology. So that tells me and tells our viewers, and I do want to give a, a shout out to our listeners, to our viewers. We have over 50,000 downloads of the What Do We Do podcast and over 1.5 million total views on social media. And Jan, as we like to say, we're just getting started. <laughs> okay, so tell us where you are now so that our uh, viewers, our listeners, can really get an understanding on uh, what you've created. And before we let you uh, get into that, I want to thank you for having us. We are recording in uh, VanX headquarters uh, in Manhattan. And uh, we want to, again, thank you for your hospitality and giving us access to some of your intellectual capital today. It's been fantastic. So uh, please, before we get into the mentoring uh, session that's mm -hmm. coming up. How about you just tell us about uh, Van Eck and give a little bit of your profile? Sure. Um, well, as a firm, we manage about $70 billion. Uh, and about 90% of that is in ETFs. So that's become our predominant business. We, um, as some of our ETFs grew to be, you know, very liquid and traded worldwide, we said, well, why don't we expand that globally? So we have uh, ETFs locally in Europe and in Australia today. Uh, have about 400 colleagues. We have our, our headquarters here in New York of about 180 people and then 50 people down in Tampa uh, and then our overseas colleagues. We have an index subsidiary. So when you think about new ETF, sometimes there's an index you want to track and sometimes you come up with the idea. And after a while, we were like, well, if we come up with the idea, why don't we create the index as well? Why give that to someone else and have them charge us back to run that index. So we self-index about half of our ETFs and that uh, subsidiary is headquartered in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, so, you know, I, when I joined the firm, well, I should say when I took over the firm, you know, with my brother in the, in the late 90s, uh, we had about 90 or so people. And unfortunately, it was one of those bear markets and commodities and emerging markets, one of those vicious bear markets. Uh, so the first thing we did is had to lay off like about half the firm. 
but you know you ha- we had to stay in business, um, and so uh, it's been a building process since then. Very reluctant to hire <laughs> because going through layoffs is really unpleasant, um, and it and it really not only affects morale but also business momentum. So that's um, that's a little bit about where we're at now. Okay, well, appreciate that. And that's a great segue into how about you tell us about the markets today? If you said when you took over the firm, you were um, in a bear market that um, you know, maybe similar to today's, maybe different than today's, but we're in one now, uh, unless you're talking about um, the U.S. dollar or perhaps oil or the natural resource space. And so I do know that your firm plays in that space also. But let's talk about um, what you see with the markets today. And as our listeners know, and as our viewers know, we're not just talking stock markets. We're talking all the different markets that are represented by your uh, mutual funds and your ETFs. Uh, The markets are many. And so let's, uh, you know, maybe not hit them all, but let's talk about the uh, broad markets as you see uh, where they are now and which ones might be opportunistic as we head into 2023. So um, as you just heard about our whole company history, our philosophy is, I would call it macro structuralists. And what I mean by macro part is that the financial markets reflect the bigger world. What's going on in economics, what's going on in politics, and what's going on in technology. As Americans, we're so lucky because we have such a strong economy. But if you can put yourself in the, in the thought of uh, you know, someone like in Japan before World War II or Argentina today, uh, you know, where they take away your bank deposits every 10 years, you realize, well, maybe I don't always want to be invested in the stock market. So we kind of say, all right, what's the big environment? So right now, um, well, until recently, you basically had everything going against you as an investor. So first of all, let's start with the Fed. The Fed uh, you know, sets interest rates, and they're bearish, right? They're, they're tightening money supply because they want to get inflation out. That's not good for financial markets. So that's money supply. Then government. Is the government spending money or is the government not spending money? Also, bad news. Uh, they spent a lot of money, but now it looks like they're not going to be spending money, you know, regardless of what the final outcomes of the elections are, if we ever know. Um, you, know go, you know, Congress will not be in a mood to do a lot of stimulus packages. Okay, so that's number two. And then fiscal, uh, sorry, that's fiscal policy. And then the last one is the global economy. And what I like to point out to people is obviously Europe is in a recession. Obviously, we're basically flat in growth. But China, which has been one of the biggest contributors to growth, is also in a very recessionary, you know, kind of, I would say, state because of the property market. But also, more importantly, Dewey, we know that their population is actually going to start shrinking and their, their population is going to go from 1.4 billion to 800 million in 2100. So just think, they're going to turn into Japan. So their growth rates are never going to be like those high 6 to 8% that we're used to. Okay, so we've got all those three major factors moving against us. Where are we now? Um, on the exciting side, I'm most excited about fixed income. Uh, you are now getting paid to save money. And whether it's treasury bills, the bank, I, I like all kinds of fixed income. Uh, there are many times where high-yield bonds have outperformed stocks over a 5- or 10-year rolling period. I, you know, I'm not saying that per se, but I do think that people underappreciate that how much dividends income for, from equities and how much coupons out of bonds can and actually be the things that carry your portfolio during kind of – 
what I think could be kind of flat markets going out here. So that's kind of that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Okay, so those are the broad markets. And as we've talked before uh, to our listeners and our viewers, we talk asset allocation. We talk stocks, bonds, cash. We talk alternatives. And that could be gold and other hard assets. It could be real estate. It also could be cryptocurrency. It could be cannabis. It could be private credit. It could be all kinds of different things. And so um, what about some of those alternatives? I, I wish there were something that was a screaming by right now. Um, I'm not really sure that's the case. Uh, so a year ago... Uh, I was definitely pounding the table saying, watch out for growth. And that included the crypto investment scheme because, I mean, we had people saying, oh, let's, that's a really attractive, you know, software as a service SaaS company that's trading at 40 times sales, 40 times sales. Um, I don't care if a company's growing 100% a year. Like that is an insane valuation. So growth, I think, was really overdone at the end of 2021. So what have we seen since then? Effectively, growth and value have come back together. And, and a, a lot of investors are saying, listen, I want the dividend portion or the value portion, if you will, of my portfolio. To, I don't want to be underweight that now, right? Um, but I'm not sure that you want to have a dramatic feeling about growth versus value on the equity side of the portfolio. What about real estate? A lot of uh, the investors that we talk to, you know, are really worried about the markets. So we maybe just talk about the bear case and um, what happens if this is just another bear market rally and that we're headed lower. And there are some doomsday scenarios out there. And so again, you know, let's uh, let's ask you what your take is on the doomsday scenarios heading into 2023. And then also just uh, again, you know, investing um, across all the different a- asset classes that are out there. I don't. I'm not a doomsdayer. Let's talk. Talk about the causes of doomsday. There's, there's basically, I would call it, some kind of structural problem in the markets. And that's what we had with the global financial crisis. The economy was actually not really that bad. But the problem was the whole financial sector was really dependent on these mortgage-backed bonds. And they were, they were, it's, it's like some investors today in, in, in cryptocurrencies, they were too leveraged and then those instruments themselves were like small cap stocks, is my analogy, meaning they're very volatile and they're not necessarily liquid. So that is a bad combination. Borrowing a lot of money and then you're borrowing that against an asset that can go down quickly and you might not be able to sell. Like there's nothing that bad. So um, I think, but that's not the situation. Our banks are very well capitalized. Our companies have a lot of money. The weekend is the federal government. Now, listen, I'm a gold bug. Maybe we'll talk about that later. I, I don't see an immediate reason why people would start worrying about the ability of the U.S. government to pay its debts. So, so if that's doomsday kind of, you know, structural liquidity bank crisis kind of sees up. Um, I don't see that at all. I'm very confident that that's unlikely to happen. Then the question is, um, doomsday number two is a recession. Do we, does the economy slow down dramatically? Uh, and, and what I look at is the labor market. And I think it's very hard to understand what's happening with the labor market because of COVID. Um, supposedly, the job opens, uh, openings, are there really? But any way you want to look at it, the labor market's strong. I mean, people have jobs, right? I mean, that's, so that's the, that's the good thing. So I don't, I don't see that slowing down dramatically because of this interest rate increase. So that's, I, I'm not a doomsdayer, but I'm in the camp that markets can go sideways. I think, 
you know, what people forget is how bad stock markets can be. And I'm not a doomsdayer, but just you don't always make money in stocks. And I got to Can I give you two examples from the 70s? I think this is funny. Sometimes it's helpful to talk to people from different market cycles. So once um, there was a salesperson who I worked with who said he was a stockbroker in the 1970s. And they were having such trouble getting business that after lunch, they decided that they would try to give away stock. So they tried to give away 50 shares of General Motors. And they would just call up people uh, all afternoon long. And at the end of the day, guess what? No one would accept it. They were like, I don't want stock. I don't want stock. <laughs> because the perception was it would just go down. So uh, another, another version of that is Merrill Lynch had to cut costs. So back then they had you know, phones that would sit on your desks. And they pulled all their touchtone phones to save money and went back to rotary dial phones. <laughs> so it's just an example of how badly Wall Street was and how they had to cut costs. So um, anyway, so I think we're, even if you tune into CNBC, Dewey, I think it's all about when are stocks going to go up again? When are stocks going to go up again? You don't really hear too many people saying, well, I really enjoyed owning that bond fund last week because I collected a good amount of interest. That's too boring, right? No one wants to talk about that. So um, anyway, so I guess I'm in the stocks can go sideways and be frustrating. And in the meantime, I'd like to clip some coupons. Well, and that is uh, the current you know, opportunity that's there, whether it's the inverted yield curve or just, again, uh, we talk about this in our office all the time. In the spring of 2022, you could get 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5 on cash in a bank and a CD or a treasury, 0. 0.5. And now, nine months later, you can get five. Just about. Okay, so you can get five. That's 10x. Okay. And so, yeah, inflation might be at 7% and this and that. But again, maybe the inflation was going to be there. And if it's the, you know, the, the CPI of, let's say, 8% and you're only getting 0.5, and let's say it's still 8%, but now you're getting five, you're that much closer to parity, right? And so if inflation comes down and you can lock in those bonds and clip that five, you again, you might be, um, um, I'm going to stop because you got something well, to say. Well, I, I was going to cut you off. Sorry yeah, about please. that. But, and bonds are less riskier than they were at the beginning of the year. And I have to explain this. When interest rates go from 0 to 3%, the price of the bonds go down a lot. And almost every bond fund, I'm exaggerating, is down 20%. That's when interest rates go from 0 to 3%. But if they go from 5 to 8%, you lose. It's just bond math. But you lose a lot less money. So that's number one. And then number two is because you can take that 5% and reinvest it, it's compounding, right? So you start this year with 100 bucks, you start the next year at, you know, with, with 100, you know, $105 and the following year with 111 and change, right? So that, because that will give you a cushion over time. And I think that's what people forget. In the 1970s, the worst inflationary decade in U.S. history, bonds beat stocks. So, sorry, that's my, I, oh, okay. I love to make that well, point. Well, so, again, uh, for our younger listeners, our <laughs> younger viewers, you know, bonds are boring, okay? Well, Jan Van Eck is here to say they ain't boring no more, okay? And we used to say in the springtime, Jan, uh, bonds are bad. Well, we said about a month ago uh, to, uh, you know, kind of jump on your train, bonds are back. So we're in the same camp you are. And, uh, again, maybe it's because I'm always reading uh, your blogs. Maybe I'm uh, fully aware of what you're thinking when you uh, publish it. So we appreciate that. We have a few more things we want to cover before the show's over. But we're going to step into part of the show that I love. 
Okay, everyone knows this is the What Do We Do podcast, but every once in a while, Jan, everyone gets sick of hearing what I do. They don't want to know what do we do anymore, and today, I think our listeners and our viewers want to know what Jan do. So this is going to be the part of the show we call What Jan Do, which is what would you go back and tell your 18-year-old self or our 18-year-old listeners and viewers today? So this is actually an easy question for me to answer because at 18 years old, I had no idea what I wanted to do. In fact, when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But what I did, I would advise and advise my kids and other kids to do, which is try a lot of stuff. Like you've got a ton of time in your career. I know everyone's anxious. Everyone wants to like be successful right away. Take your time, figure out what you like to do. I did internships in a whole host of different things. I worked for a think tank. I worked for a political campaign. I worked for a newspaper. I worked, you know, I went to, ended up going to law school. So I did all those kinds of jobs. It's really good just to take your time and try different things. And some won't work. It's not the end of the world. You're 23 or you're 27 or whatever. Uh, that, that I think is, is really important. And I think the other thing is that just, um, Try to find a way, you know, an outlet, a hobby just to be happy. People, especially because of the influence of social media, I look at some of these statistics, and they're so worried about how do I compare against the other person or, you know, and they're just too nervous and about success in life, I guess. And just like, just find something that makes you happy and don't worry about it. So um, if you can relax, it's easier said than done, and different people find that different ways, but try to find the way that enables you to relax. That's fantastic. And um, along those lines, I'm going to tell you that uh, Jan and I, we have a few years of history, and I really appreciate the opportunity for you to uh, have our show in your offices. But um, it wasn't the first time we met, but um, back in 2018, and I think you know what I'm going to say, uh, we were at a conference out in uh, Colorado, and as luck would have it, we decided to take a walk down the uh, trail of the ranch that we were at, and I was kind of picking your brain a little bit as a newer business owner about things I should look forward to or some ideas that I should have. And one of the things that you said, you said, Dewey, podcasts are the future. (laughs) And I said, okay, that's great. Well, how is that going to help me? And uh, again, take two years later, someone else said, Dewey, you should start a podcast because no one knows what to do right now that COVID's here. And so again, I want to publicly thank you for uh, planting the seed uh, in my head back in 2018 about uh, starting the podcast, which is now known as What Do We Do? But as we kind of wrap up the show, uh, Jan, I think it's really important for you to um, give a little bit more wisdom to our listeners, to our viewers, maybe that want to be involved in Wall Street. Maybe they want to be investment bankers one day. Maybe they just want to know what to do now as a, you know, a, someone coming out of school to be a business owner. With the world we're in, um, A, you know, what do you see with the economy going forward? And also, again, what opportunities you know, should our younger viewers and listeners, um, besides those mentoring tips, uh, do to uh, you know, have the best success they can? Listen, I, I think if you are interested in the markets, and we have a, an internship with uh, 30 interns every summer, and I don't know if you know this, I teach them a 16-unit class in history. So I've, I deal, I love, I was just uh, on a college campus uh, at a conference with 2,000 uh, undergrads So at that conference. So uh, I really enjoyed working with young people. I would say if you're interested in the markets, actually be very simple. Read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover every day and try to understand those articles. You won't. You won't understand those articles. But just uh, try to ask yourself, why is that business doing that thing? 
what is the thing called, who sets interest rates, what's that thing called, and why are they doing what they're doing? And just use that when they, when they meet you or meet people like me and ask, or their parents or whomever they talk to, ask those follow-up questions. Start, start with that basic understanding. I know that sounds simple, but um, you know, the, people have a lot to learn when they're coming into the business, and you, that's a great place to start. I've known you've heard this before, but some people say knowledge is power, <laughs> right? So again, education is the key, and knowledge is power. I'm going to wrap up uh, with a little bit of just kind of fun. Uh, maybe tell us one of your uh, proudest moments. You know, career-wise, I mean, I, obviously I'm very proud of, of my family, but um, career-wise, I love stories like dealing with you, like, you know, just having a conversation about podcasts, and here we are four years later. Um, Perth Toll, who's a, an ETF entrepreneur, um, has a very successful ETF these days. And uh, I was listening to a podcast interview of her, and she said, oh, yeah, Jan told me, go for it, just go for it. And yeah, that's my attitude towards entrepreneurialism. I love trying things. That's how I got excited about business. So um, I, I was very, I didn't remember talking to her, but I guess I was very proud that, you know, she felt that, you know, in a small way, I was like a little, you know, another straw that got her going. So absolutely. That's fantastic. And that's a great way to wrap up the show. Um, before we do anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today about uh, you, Van Eck, uh, living your best life, anything out there um, that we want to make sure we share with our audience before we call today? Well, I am on social media. And so I do recommend uh, my favorite podcast episodes very rarely, but maybe once or twice a month on LinkedIn. Uh, Jan Van Eck, I'm easy to find. And uh, my Twitter handle is Jan Van Eck, the number three. Uh, I'm not on that too often, but when I see really good content uh, that I think is important for people to know, I share it there. And I do know that uh, Van Eck has a podcast also that uh, you and your team uh, started, I think, the same year that we started ours, which was 2020. I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's called uh, Trends with Benefits. So please check that out as well. Uh, Jan Van Eck, you are a mentor. I do consider you a friend, and I appreciate the time that you've given us today. Um, and to all of, uh, all of you out there listening and viewing, I want to wrap up by saying what I always say, which is live your best life, be radically generous, a great big booyah to ya. And we had Jan Van Eck in the studio, his studio, and we're just getting started. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.